0: Heavily you yeah, I'm a clown. Huh. hello and welcome back to another episode of the Bitcoin Echo Chamber, the show about Bitcoin and Bitcoin Wax Museum. I know it's been a while since I put out an episode. I actually did uh, an interview. actually I did two interviews that I didn't end up publishing. That's just kind of the nature of this beast. But today I have an interview that I did with Corey Clipston, a guy who reached out to me. He's the founder of Give Bitcoin, which just launched this last week. You might have heard a lot of the other content creators talking about give Bitcoin. I really liked the project. I really liked talking to Corey. I think you guys are going to like the conversation, so I'm going to go ahead and get right to it. This episode of the Bitcoin Echo Chamber podcast is sponsored by WTFHappenedIn1971.com. The economics meme taking the world by storm where all of us are trying to find out the answer to what the heck happened in 1971. WTF 1971 also has a merch store now. You can find it at WTF.com dash 1971 dot creator dash spring dot com. I'll post a link to that down in the show notes if you want to check it out. Thanks for the support. Corey, how you doing, man?
1: I'm good. Good to see you, Colin.
0: Yeah, uh, this is our first time really talking other than just through emails. And you actually uh, reached out to me. And I have to preface our interview with the fact that I get cold emails like... Not a lot, probably not a lot as some of the other people out there that are bigger than me, but uh, on a pretty regular basis, like I get a a handful a week and most of them, if not every single one that I've ever gotten have just been awful. Um, People that don't know anything about my show are trying to show me products or trying to get me to um, spam referral links for their questionable platforms or whatever uh but you guys were like one of the first people who reached out to me and had a legitimate viable product and not only that but i was really interested to learn more about what you guys were doing Uh, but we can get more into that later why don't you tell my listeners a little
1: bit about you yeah sure well first of all colin thanks for having me on and uh super appreciate the uh kudos there out of the gate uh our, our marketing lead uh brian is is very good at uh getting our point across in an email, which is great. And then I think when you're reaching out to uh, Bitcoiners who want to see, you know, a bitcoin in future and we're coming at it, trying to, you know, create 21 million new Bitcoiners, it's usually worth a second look. Hmm. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, so my background um, grew up in in Northern Cali and Seattle. Parents are still up there. Uh, Went out east for about 15 years, Uh, Chicago and New York, lived in both places twice and uh, came out to LA in uh, early 2013 so I've been here almost seven years now. Um, My career, uh, I started out uh, a broadcast major and was a a local NBC TV reporter very briefly in like 97, 98 while I was still in college. Uh, I was at the same time getting you know super in love with the internet and and building web pages and ended up getting an internship with Microsoft and went to work for them on a very early interactive television product out in New York uh, and then spent about nine years post dot com bust in, let's call it like pre-internet industries or industries that were trying to digitize. Mm-hmm. So I went to business school at University of Chicago, picked up a finance and entrepreneurship MBA there. Uh, that's when I was first introduced to some uh, some Austrians and and hmm. started going down in, in in the econ rabbit hole a little bit more, um, and then I went to Mackenzie and Company, which is a management consulting firm. It was in their New York office for a couple of years, and then I started a uh, private equity consulting firm out of Chicago um, with a lawyer friend, and uh, did that for a couple of years, and then um, basically caught the early stage tech bug probably starting in like late 2009. I think this was just, uh, you know, as I look at it in retrospect, it all kind of dovetails with Bitcoin because, you know, 10 years ago, we were watching essentially the collapse of uh, what I thought was on firmer foundation than the dot-com era. So the dot-com era sort of, I saw a collapse around me of all the tech companies that I was involved in in Mm -hmm. the beginning of my career. And then I tried to get on solid ground and then that collapsed too. And I was like, okay, what the heck can you do? And, you know, the again, hindsight's twenty twenty, I think it was a lot of reading Nasem Taleb and I'd been, you know, reading and rereading his books and papers since like two thousand two mm-hmm. and I was starting to really appreciate having control over your own destiny. Um, I also started to take some of the learnings from some of my friends who'd been in um in tech companies for a long time and just like the importance of having uh like a lot of it, it, I'll pull this all together. Uh, how important it is to have like a diversity of revenue streams. So that's that's kind of mm-hmm. the way to look at it from like an entrepreneur's perspective. And then uh, from kind of a, uh, just looking at the, you know, kind of the economy and, and society broadly, like this is all about decentralization. It really is just about small units and keeping things kind of like as small and, Removing systemic risk as much as possible. Uh, so I started to think of like, how can I take control of my own career and not be sort of at the whims of things that are completely outside of my control? And I really wanted to get involved in early stage startups where the things that you do, the decisions that you make, uh, the connections that you are able to you know, procure on behalf mm-hmm. of your small company all have like a really uh, large positive outcome so in a lot of ways my my search for more control is what led me to go toward early stage Um, plus i just think it's fun to be out on the edge dealing with new tech instead of trying to fix old broken industries and you know kind of play innovation theater and help them catch up i'd rather be the ones that are doing doing (laughs) the disrupting Mm -hmm. um so yeah so I, i I first went to Google really just to kind of get a better lay of the land. So I was at Google from 2011 to 2013, a little over two years and networked like crazy into Silicon Valley and New York and LA startup founders and VCs. And by summer of 13, I was now living in LA with my family and, um, felt comfortable enough to jump out. So then for the last six and a half years, I've been angel investing, advising, and operating where it makes sense. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then we can kind of get into where Bitcoin comes in from that. That's interesting. I find that a lot of Bitcoiners
0: don't become, well, they don't, they're not even exposed to Austrian school of thought until they find Bitcoin. But there are a select few out there who uh, stumbled upon Austrian economic thinking prior to Bitcoin. And it really tends to shape the way that they approach the topic.
1: Yeah, well, it didn't take for me um Mm -hmm. it it was probably i I didn't quite get all the way there so like i read a little bit of hayek but it didn't didn't take what Mm -hmm. did take for me was you know someone who almost got there which was milton friedman so Mm -hmm. like free to choose and and kind of just think i I guess it's kind of like voluntarist but doesn't really get into like the ethics of money production and things Mm -hmm. like that so i'm no stefan lavera but i at least was kind of like um the ground was fertile when the ideas came back around and you know i was receptive i guess
0: Right. Yeah. And so where does Bitcoin fit into this? How does a a once journalism major slash MBA slash angel investor end up starting a Bitcoin company?
1: Uh, So someone gave me Bitcoin in January of 2014 at a tech conference. I proceeded to not read the white paper, not go down the rabbit hole and lose the private key. Hmm. (laughs) And then I did get Super into Bitcoin, starting in spring of 17, and started accumulating. It wasn't called stacking sats back then, but so I started doing, right. and uh, and started working in the space and trying to figure out like what I could do to actually add value. And um, you know, by that fall, I was sold to the point where I wanted to evangelize Bitcoin to friends and family, and I wanted them to get involved. And so you know, I started talking to my parents and in particular my dad about Bitcoin in fall of 17. It took me 18 full months until March of this year to actually get my parents to buy some Bitcoin. Wow. Um, And this, you know, hundreds of hours and tons of podcasts and books and, you know, articles and talking Mm -hmm. it through and, you know, all of that. And like that just does not scale. So I consider that sort of the second leg of the stool. The third one is I basically decided uh, last, I guess it was like end of August of 18, I decided that I wanted to figure out how to talk about bitcoin and pitch bitcoin for a living mm-hmm. which is you know a tough nut to crack like you're basically a podcaster or i don't know what i mean it mm-hmm. you kind of have to start a company right um and so i basically spent all of last fall trying to figure out how to how to talk about bitcoin professionally and couldn't come up with anything great uh, after messing around with some fund ideas and then you know kind of q1 of 2019 still nothing was coming around finally got my dad to buy that Bitcoin in, uh, in March. And then in April, uh, I had, I've been doing this tech salon monthly, just kind of like a monthly founder plus investor happy hour going back nine years now. And I had one up in San Francisco and uh, I remember the day, it was April 10th and one of the more famous, you know, smarter Bitcoiners that I know who has a lot of writings and a lot of audio and video out there about Bitcoin. Um, Attempted to pitch Bitcoin to a, uh, a pre-coiner Silicon Valley CEO friend of mine and I thought that I just wasn't like good enough at that point that I, you know, just my pitch wasn't good enough and I didn't have enough angles, didn't have enough arrows in the quiver to really get somebody hooked in, in, in a pitch, you know, mm-hmm. like I'm so used to getting the story across for a startup in 10 minutes or 20 minutes or whatever. And uh, I watched it and I was like, oh, it's because it's not really possible. Like all you can do is just try to like pique their interest and like start them down the rabbit hole. But it really does take a year. It really does take 18 months for my dad. It really did take, you know, fits and starts multiple times, you know, before I went down the rabbit hole. So there's got to be a better way. And, uh, you know, it was really it was just on the flight back was a couple beers deep and had another whiskey on the flight home to L.A. Uh, that night. And uh, it just kind of came out give plus time lock plus educate equals bitcoiner that you would. You would basically give them some skin in the game and you wouldn't want them to sell it or trade it for Ripple or something. Uh, And so you'd want to time lock it and then you would want to educate them about Bitcoin during the time lock. And so basically from that, that day, I couldn't get it out of my head. I started immediately thinking about, you know, how can you do this? Started researching, started talking to people and, you know, basically just started recruiting a team before the end of that month. Uh, to build something initially exploring you know can you do this with an on-chain time lock would you do it for like really big gifts from like whales that want to bequeath their own bitcoin and and more and more just kind of dialed in on like what's good for bitcoin and what's good for for bitcoiners and uh and came up with the product that we have now which launches on on thursday of this week Uh, i don't know when you're going to air this but it'll be live to everyone on uh, november 21st 2019 uh givebitcoin.io launches to the public awesome um
0: yeah that there's a lot to uh dig into there so i find it pretty interesting actually that a guy who started a company around giving bitcoin um started his journey into bitcoin by being given bitcoin and then losing it do you Mm -hmm. remember how much that was
1: yeah, it was $50 of Bitcoin on a blockchain.com wallet.
0: And that was in 2015, so it was like mm,
1: it was January of 20, it was January 29th, 2014, I think the okay. Bitcoin price was. So that would have been
0: a sizable chunk
1: of change today. Not that much. I mean, it was it depends on your frame of reference, but yeah. Bitcoin price was like 5 or 600 bucks, so I think it was about an eighth of a Bitcoin or something. Mm. Maybe Bitcoin was 400.
0: Okay. Well, yeah. Um, did that color like your, your thinking early on? Were you like this thing is is hard to use?
1: I, I wanted no. It wasn't that hard to use. I just didn't care about it. Like it, I was busy. I mean, I just raised a seed round for an ad tech company, and I was operating full time and trying to hire a team of like twenty people. And I just mm-hmm. you know it didn't it didn't take. And but but this idea nothing, there was no good way to follow up on the gift. Like sure. the guy gave it to me, and I never saw him again. And you know, only had a few seconds there at the conference to even. Have it sink in. Yeah.
0: Didn't take. It, was there at any point where you were like, um, it, you know, it, it's it's different than than usual money. Like we're not used to being able to just lose money because we lose track of a of a key. You know, you can contact your bank and answer all kinds of secret questions and hopefully get your account back. But that doesn't that doesn't exist in Bitcoin. Like at any point in time, did that give you pause to maybe say, um, this is difficult for new people.
1: Yeah, of course. I mean, we we know that it's difficult for new people. And I think one of the the biggest, you know, biggest vectors of improvement for Bitcoin and Bitcoiners broadly is just making the user experience, you know, simpler and more accessible. Um, And something we're certainly focused on.
0: Yeah, I mean... And that's something that you, you probably experienced again when you were able to convince your parents to buy Bitcoin. Um, were there any growing pains there for that, like trying to help get them onboarded? Or, or was it more like, you know, just create an account on exchange and, and uh, good luck?
1: Yeah, I mean, well, I obviously had to guide them through every step of that. And, you know, that, that experience certainly fed my uh, desire to do something better for especially new coiners and their experience. I think it's uh, probably Matt and Marty that have said a few times on, on Tales from the Crypt that uh, you know introducing someone to Bitcoin in an in, in exchange interface is immoral. Hmm. <laughs> you know, that that's probably not the best way to do it. Uh, and, you know, I, I love Square and like Jack Dorsey is you know, quoted liberally on my Twitter and in our investor deck and stuff like that. But, you know, it's also, it's a payments company Mm-hmm. You know, and so I think, um, you know, playing this right down the middle for what Bitcoin actually has is and that we all kind of understand it to be that as a savings technology, at least for the next couple decades, um, having a savings platform, you know, specifically for building up your stack, mm-hmm. I think is uh, is the right way to get into this business, you know, one way on ramp. Uh, like us with gifting or, you know, like, um, what's Rubens bitter over in the EU? Mm -hmm. Um, Same kind of thing, just like super simple dollar cost average. uh, Svedsky's down in Oz, Australia, Amber, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm I'm a huge fan of these bull Bitcoin, obviously, you know, Mm -hmm. certainly does have an exchange, but it's Bitcoin only. And obviously, like, couldn't be more vocal than Francis telling people to hodl.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're really... um, forging the path, you know, with the whole privacy aspect of Bitcoin with with mixing everything that comes in and out of their exchange. That's huge.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Huge fan of that. And, you know, certainly something that we promote the heck out of from an education and a knowledge standpoint, trying to equip people to uh, be self-sovereign with their Bitcoin. So let's dig into that. Uh, I really like your your mantra or like
0: the the thing that you discovered was like your secret sauce. Um, you said you said Bitcoiner equals give plus time lock plus educate. Did I get that right?
1: I would just reverse it. We just say give plus time lock plus educate equals Bitcoiner. Okay. Yeah.
0: yeah. So <laughs> let's let's break down uh, each of those and and kind of talk about what you guys are doing uh, for each each piece of that puzzle. Um, so give. I guess we kind of already touched on. But why do you think Um, you know, you mentioned the whole, it's, it's immoral to start people on an exchange as their, uh, first interface with Bitcoin, but why it's, it's it's
1: a, it's a quote, it's a quote. So I I would just say like, I have a lot of trader friends and they're going to want to trade the heck out of this. So, you know, like you said, you, you can come at this from different ways and get people into Bitcoin in different ways. And you know, so I have option trader friends from Chicago that made a bunch of money in the yachts and they want to get into Bitcoin for trading. And that's totally fine. Like set them up on, they don't, they're not even going to be satisfied with uh, Coinbase and Kraken. They want to go straight to BitMEX and use leverage and, and go nuts against the whales. And that's mm-hmm. totally fine. I think, uh, you know, for, for most people and especially the people that we target, um, you know, we want them to look at it as a savings technology and we want to d- deliver a product that, uh, that uh, brings them into Bitcoin in the right way for them.
0: Okay, so um, so you're you're kind of targeting like the everyday user, uh, the people who don't really know even why they would need this, but uh, might have a friend who's
1: who's interested in Bitcoin and, and wants to get them started. We think about it. So we think there are going to be a lot of uh, Bitcoin evangelists, and there already are. We've been in beta for a month, and we've been watching the activity. So there are a lot of people that really like Bitcoin that want to get other people into it and this is a tool for them to do that uh, better than they can today. It it obviates the need to sort of be Bitcoin IT support for life. It takes away the need for you to have to handle the burden of all of the education, uh, knowing that we're going to do a really good job with it, given the resources that we have and and a full team kind of focused on that. Um, And then, you know, also it's it's nice. The number of people that you can sort of feel comfortable doing this for uh, is Expanded dramatically because we have what we call double opt-in gifting, which basically just means uh, Only if the recipient accepts the gift and actually opens up that account to, to hold their Bitcoin uh, Is the transaction initiated so I can go to like CES or some normie conference or you know I could go to blockchain Berkeley where everybody's learning about, you know die and ETH and stuff like that and I could hand out, you know, a hundred gifts of ten dollars of Bitcoin and only the people that actually sign up and now i know those people are going to get monthly emails for the next year teaching them about bitcoin and the differences between bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies and and essentially just you know indoctrinating them into bitcoin mm-hmm. only those people am i going to get charged for that gift okay okay that makes sense and that, that's what you meant by the double opt-in thing mm-hmm. so i hand out 100 codes
0: um, mm-hmm. 50 people redeem it. So I only get charged for 50, those 50. of those 100 codes that I gave That's out. That's right. Okay, exactly. that makes sense. That's interesting. Yeah. That's yeah. a good way to do it, I think, um, so that you don't avoid uh, giving people Bitcoin that they end up losing.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think, it's, I think it makes a lot of sense. It shows they've kind of made at least the commitment. And again, they can't get out of it. They're getting their account statement for the next year and in that account statement with, you know, some price action in the, in the headline in the subject that makes them open the email, they open it up and there's another chapter of the education. Interesting.
0: Okay. So, um, let's, uh, so I guess the time lock piece really fits into the, uh, the educational thing, but expand on the time lock. Uh, what are your thoughts?
1: Like why, why a time lock? So I, <laughs> There has been a lot of consideration on our team, uh, with our advisors, with people that learn about this as to why you have, so we have a minimum one year time lock, maximum five years, so basically you go in and as you're giving, you can select one year, five years or choose a date, anything in between. Um, The reason that we wanna have a minimum one year time lock is because you want to be able everything about making a good tech product and this is you know sort of a hard one insight from me being involved in 45 companies over the last seven years is uh, you just want to remove friction everywhere that you possibly can for everyone that's using your product so this decision is actually for the giver because you don't want a receiver someone that you gave some bitcoin to to come to you after six months Let's say that it's like late 2021 and Bitcoin is, you know, five X in some parabolic move and it's 150 grand now or something in November of 2021. You don't want them coming to you and saying, like, why did you time lock it for five years? I want to sell right now. You know, the whole point is being able to say, like, my hands were tied. It was a one year time lock. If you had gone down the rabbit hole earlier and, and listened to me you would have bought a lot more Bitcoin than the little bit that I gave you. Mm-hmm. You know, this, is, this, this gift is not intended to be your entire stack. This gift is intended to be an enticement for you to go and start stacking for yourself. Interesting. Or to turn around, you know, if you're a miner or, you know, maybe a, uh, early in your career, you know, Gen Z or whatever it is, it's gonna come after that, hopefully Generation B. <laughs> uh, you can also use our platform to request Bitcoin. As a gift or or get your grandparents to set up a recurring purchase and essentially like dollar cost average through someone else giving you Bitcoin and That's actually how we see this thing spreading probably the fastest is uh, young people accumulating via gifts from older relatives um, Okay, so
0: Uh, We'll we'll come back to a little bit more on that, but, and the final piece to this equation uh, that I wrote down was the education piece. Now, I know you shared with me in the email that you guys have had um, a pretty wide range of advisors on on putting together your educational materials, and I was actually pretty impressed when I heard that uh, even Saifedean is involved. So can you tell us a little bit more about uh, what kinds of education you want to provide your users and some of the people involved?
1: Yeah, sure. So, yeah, we really wanted to do this kind of like of the community, by the community, for the community and make this a resource that's available to everybody. So when we're done with the education, basically, as we finish each chapter, each monthly chapter over the next 12 months, maybe we'll get out ahead of it and finish the whole thing, you know, in five months or something. We'll see. Um, everything will be freely available on the website for anybody to use. Um, but yeah, so Safe Moose, author of The Bitcoin Standard, uh, is a part owner of the company and one of our advisors, uh, Stefan Levera from Stefan Levera podcast, Jan Pritzker, uh, author of Inventing Bitcoin, um, Matt O'Dell from uh, Tales from the Crypt uh, is gonna be really instrumental in helping us think through how to talk about some of the uh, sort of the back half chapters around you know nodes and cold storage and self sovereignty and, and privacy and things like that. Um, Just kind of like how you how you build your own human capital to become a a citizen of Bitcoin. Um, The Bitcoin rabbi, Michael Karras, who I think, you know, is kind of always thinking about how to draw analogies and and think about how to talk about Bitcoin and and host other people, too. There are people that have uh, different lenses on this who are, you know, uh, you know, talking to more like Wall Street types. So like Tom Lee from FunStrat is involved in helping us out and. Uh, another another few people from kind of that that world who will be sort of active gifters and we expect it to spread you know like wildfire in in the financial world because uh, they're probably the most likely people to have cash on hand and to be looking for kind of like an interesting memorable thing to give to uh, to friends and family and colleagues.
0: Okay, so um, the educational material it, will this be like, an evolving platform or is it like a a, just a series of videos that you guys put together and then throw up on a website somewhere is there like a newsletter like what all can i expect for people to receive
1: well the goal is to become uh you know large and successful enough that we can you know basically produce this education in every medium um with our limited resources at launch we're doing basically just text and audio Mm-hmm. So there's, you know, there's essentially like a written, a written chapter for each lesson. And then there's uh, an audio recording uh, of, of each of the chapters. Um, obviously, they have visuals that come along with it. But, you know, most of the, the video and, and other audio that's uh, is not ours. So we'll be linking to like specific, you know, podcast episodes or external videos and kind of hmm. bringing them in and sort of like if you think of like the, the left and right column of a of a textbook or something like that will right. have a lot of related related material um, you know pulling in you know when you talk about expectations for where bitcoin can go from here you would you know obviously link to like the bullish case for bitcoin or you know whence this is recent thing from this spring or something like that yeah, if I think, you want to talk about like revolutions, then you'll link to Nick Carter's most peaceful revolution and, you know, some other things kind of thinking about the societal impact, maybe some stuff from like Alex Gladstein and what he does with HRF.
0: Hmm. Yeah, um, that's something that uh, Bitcoin only does really well is just referencing um, just the vast amount of resources of, you know, pretty intelligent people. Uh, interested in Bitcoin that have compiled so much information, written so many articles, recorded so many lectures and podcasts um, on various topics. And it's a lot to wade through, you know, so it's a pretty monumental task to try to um, compartmentalize that information and and point new people towards um, what they should consume on various topics.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, we have a spectacular tech educator uh, who is our editor and primary writer for the curriculum. Um, his name's Matt Ruby. Uh, he's written a couple of New York Times bestselling books and he's been educating about tech since probably 2002 or 2003. I've known him that whole time, about 17 years. Um, he was the original author of uh, Signal vs. Noise, the blog from 37 Signals, the guys that created Basecamp and Ruby on Rails and a bunch of other cool stuff. Um, so uh, we feel like we're in really good hands there. He's made the decision to structure it all in q and A Q&A format, so you essentially have you know the the voice of the new coiner that's just received this gift, uh, asking questions, and it's kind of like a dialectic, um, hmm. and then the you know the authoritative voice of of bitcoiners responds, and a lot of those are actually direct quotes. So we've been doing a ton of primary. Uh, interviews with all of our advisors and and other people in the Bitcoin space uh, that Matt's been conducting to actually get the right answers for all of these questions that he's been coming up with.
0: I actually think that's really powerful. I like that idea. Um, I think that that will resonate with people's discovery of uh, this medium. And like, what's the focus of the education? I mean, is is it tech-heavy? Is it economics? Is it uh, decentralized systems? Like, There's a lot to cover in Bitcoin. So how do you kind of narrow in what's important to teach a newcomer?
1: Well, the goal specifically is to get them to go down the rabbit hole and to become a, a Bitcoin citizen and a HODLer. So the education is very sort of focused on teaching them what they need to know to be able to make that decision to become heavily involved in Bitcoin and to start contributing you know, however they're going to contribute to the space, even if that's just by buying more or, you know, or even just asking people to give them more, (laughs) which is what we think will happen a lot of the times. Hmm. So Um, you're trying to cast a wide net. Uh, I mean, we just want to make it pretty accessible because there are going to be 13 year old kids getting this for their bar mitzvah. Mm -hmm. And then there is going to be like a 70 year old grandma that, you know, somebody gave some Bitcoin to and maybe our open rate for 70 year old grandparents isn't going to be super high. We'll see. Uh, but we also have a lot of ways to sort of prompt and handhold and, and suggest, you know, Hey, your new coiner hasn't opened an email in the last two months. Uh, why don't you check in on them? You know, here's something that's worked, you know, for other of our users to get them interested again. Hmm. That's interesting. So we're kind of like, we're, and again, this is, this is all opt in on the givers part. So if you're a giver and you don't ever want to talk to that person you gave to again, cause it was a random at CES, you don't have to, but we're going to give you opportunities and tell you kind of where your where the Bitcoiners that you've spawned are in their path. Uh, even you know, as we get more and more sophisticated, we'll be able to tell you like specifically which emails they opened, which times they actually went to the website and dug in deeper beyond what was in the email you know I, you can you can learn a lot from a lot of educational platforms out there like you know Khan Academy and and Lydia and some of these guys and you can actually track you know what what videos they watched and how far they got and things like that so we'll we'll see how big this becomes and what kind of talent we're able to aggregate around this but if this becomes a big big deal then you will have uh, you know, modular modularized chapters that have you know different images depending on where in the world somebody has received. Everything will be in you know twenty different languages. Will be in will be in English and Spanish and Turkish and Japanese and, and everything else, right? Um, so you could you could see this becoming like a really big robust platform that would never never be done, <laughs> and you'd always be subbing in new things that. Uh, that the data showed you was more effective at getting people to take certain actions hmm. So if we saw that, you know, everyone who made it through Module three within the first month, you know, 80% of them turn around and either give or request Bitcoin through the platform, you know before The end of the 30 days if they've read ahead three chapters and maybe we'll start encouraging people, you know, to read ahead mm mm-hmm. We'll say like, you know, hey, you're only gonna get this email you know, next month. But if you want to read ahead, you know, maybe we can send them a text message and say, "Hey, did you know that you could read ahead? Feel free
0: here." Interesting. Uh, so let's talk about the UX piece a little bit now. Uh, as a, let's say that I'm a receiver of a gift of Bitcoin. Um, how does that work? Like, do you guys yeah. hold the Bitcoin for me? Do you do the time lock at the protocol level? Like, what can I expect
1: there? Yeah. So uh, to accomplish you know basically the tenants of the product which is safe and easy and wanting to make sure that somebody that you give it to is is not going to lose it no matter what uh we have to use a custodian you can't do this without a custodian you can't do that double opt-in gifting thing and you can't sort of be sure that you know some 5-year-old that you <laughs> niece or nephew that you gave some bitcoin to uh, is going to uh, be able to take custody of that so taking custody is something that we encourage heavily and we provide all of the education for uh, being self-sovereign and, and taking your Bitcoin off the platform. But it is up to the recipient to do that when their time lock is up.
0: Okay, so they can't do it until the time lock is up. and That's right. And would it, would it be like a typical withdrawal from like an exchange
1: they send to an external
0: address mm-hmm. uh, in order yeah. to
1: receive it? Yeah, that's exactly right. So it's it's literally just uh you know btc withdrawal address you put it in
0: okay, and I'm we'll go through I'm, some you go ahead. Oh, is there like some sort of? Educational follow-up like hey, you're about to pull your private keys off um, You know cuz that's like that's probably the biggest pain point there is like if you lose these private keys Your Bitcoin is gone, right? So you have to do your uh, make sure you do your key storage correctly and almost there almost seems like there needs to be a Checklist uh, until you're able to press the withdraw button
1: Yeah, um I like the idea of a checklist uh it is your Bitcoin. So a lot of people have asked, you know, would we require something to be completed before somebody can withdraw their Bitcoin? And and no, that's not, this is a voluntary thing and you do have to take some responsibility. Mm-hmm. So we're going to make it available and encourage as much as possible. And, you know, we'll uh, certainly cue the giver that, hey, you know, time lock is up in two weeks. You might want to check in and and see if your uh, your recipient is ready to take custody and you might wanna dip back in and help a little bit. These are the resources that we've showed them already. Uh, here's the help resources that we have for you know after they've taken their coins off platform. Um, but you might wanna also just check in and, and say what's up again.
0: Yeah, yeah, so when I first heard about your product, I was thinking more along the lines of like an Open Dime or like a paper wallet that had been actually time-locked at the protocol level. but Mm-hmm. The more I think about it, um, the way you're doing it makes sense for the amounts that we're talking about. Um, it c- custodianship for your for your company makes sense uh, to me.
1: You know, there might be people out there who disagree. Um, yeah, and we're huge fans. I mean, I God the CoinKite guys and like they're just awesome. I love what they're doing. Uh, I. I guess another thing to just make sure is super clear is you cannot give away your own bitcoin through our platform we only allow you to uh, as we say liquidate dirty fiat for beautiful orange coin mm-hmm. so this is a one way on ramp you only purchase new bitcoin for your recipients
0: interesting yeah and it, and my concern you know like because there are those products out there that that do like the you know, send us $100, we'll send you a, a paper $100 Bitcoin uh, equivalent. Um, there's so much counterparty risk there. And at least like w- yeah. with the custodianship thing, while it's not maybe not 100% ideal to let someone else hold your Bitcoin, there's no counterparty risk with like uh, the, the key generation or, you know, because once, once you withdraw that Bitcoin to your own address, then uh, the onus is on you. Uh, but if, if I were receiving the wallet from you, then until I move it, uh, it's, it's a risk.
1: Yeah, for sure. And again, I I think that we're going to see an explosion of Bitcoin evangelism through gifting as soon as people realize that you can, uh, because of the double opt-in thing, that people won't, your account won't be charged until somebody actually signs up for receiving it, having an account and, you know, essentially signing up to get those 12 emails over the next year. Hmm.
0: And um, what's your what's your revenue model like? I mean, what can I expect to have to spend for every little bit of Bitcoin that I give someone?
1: Yeah, so uh, so first off, the transaction range at launch is um, $10 minimum gift, 5000 maximum gift. Uh, So I think, you know, so far we've had quite a few 250s and 500s. We had a couple outliers of 4500 each to a niece and a nephew. That was pretty awesome to see that come through. Um, again, something that you probably wouldn't just put on a random paper wallet or, or a USB stick and give to somebody, right? Uh, it's actually kind of nice to know that there's an institution that's regulated and uh, and um, has insurance and things like that behind it. Um, so we are, we're 2% with a $2 minimum. So basically for gifts a, above a hundred bucks, it's 2%. For anything less than a hundred bucks, it's $2. Okay. So that's not too bad. Um, Probably less than you'd even be paying on an exchange, honestly, in a lot of cases. Yeah, I mean, we think that it's a really good value, and that's what we've heard. I mean, you're talking transaction fee plus time lock plus custody plus the education, all for two bucks. You know, and actually having an account for for your receiver at a custodian opened for free with, you know, and this is all KYC, so the KYC is included as well. And I hate
0: to even feel like I have to ask this, but uh, the the market rate for the Bitcoin is determined like when the person generates the code or when the person redeems the code. How does that work?
1: It's at the time of transaction. So it's literally literally once they actually accept it. So they have an account and they accept the Bitcoin. That's when the transaction actually goes through and it's just bought uh, at that day's price. So we batch daily right now and this is actually all this is not handled by us this is something that's really important to know so uh people a- ask like what's the risk of give bitcoin deciding to do something else or going out of business or whatever uh we sit on top of uh prime trust which is a major custodian that also custodies all u.s customer funds for binance bittrex Woby, okx a ton of otc desks and funds and projects in the space so very well-known company, very well-regulated company. Executives that can be found, and like a really robust security setup uh, with fire blocks. Um So can feel as secure as you can feel about using a third-party custodian. Like we're in really good shape there, and uh, we never have access to any of your sensitive information, like your KYC information. We never see it. We do not touch your dollars, and we we cannot touch your dollars and cannot touch your Bitcoin or any of your personal like sensitive information that's good all we can do is just market bitcoin and educate about bitcoin
0: yeah those were my two next questions um was the kyc so obviously you're KYCing both parties on on both ends right
1: actually only the receiver which is another nice thing when you talk about our goals of reducing friction you do not have to kyc to give with the platform because your bank has already done that or your credit card company
0: okay that's interesting
1: yeah, it's actually what it's another nice thing about uh being a one way on ramp. Um, because it's it's a gray area and and probably pretty black, frankly, if we were enabling the uh the gifting of your own Bitcoin. Yeah. You'd probably I mean, have to you'd probably have to KYC those people, but we do not have to KYC people that are purchasing.
0: Yeah, hopefully one day you guys have like cash terminals or something. I don't know. Um <laughs> Yeah. And, and Listen, I if like...
1: this thing has legs, like we'll explore so many different things. I mean, obviously we're having a lot of conversations with all of the hardware providers and, you know, we're good friends with Unchained Capital and talking about multi-sig setups like, you know, I, and I don't know what's going to be built on, you know, layer two and layer three and side chains. And like maybe there's, you know, time lock functionality in there. Like the more we can do this in, in ways that are good for Bitcoin while maintaining safe and easy, uh, we'll push the envelope as much as we can.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the, the time lock on the protocol level, you know, definitely something to consider, but, uh, I, the more I think about that, that's a hard problem to solve for new users, particularly, you know, because, um, you haven't gotten, you them would, to in- you would have to be education. there.
1: Yeah. You'd have to be there on the back end, making sure that every single one from the four year old through the 90 year old was there ready to grab their Bitcoin as it came off of the mm-hmm. on-chain time lock?
0: You know. Um, yeah, and the other thing you hit on, uh, w- which I didn't even really think about until you mentioned it, but just the fact that you guys don't don't specifically custody um, the assets is interesting. I, and I'm assuming that would mean like if you guys go bankrupt, you can't liquidate the the Bitcoin that your uh, customers have already purchased in
1: order to pay it's, off your We dads. have zero access to it. We can't touch it. Can't see it. Nothing. That's well, good. we can we can see how much is in the account, obviously, because we have that API access, and we're we're telling you what your balance is, but we can't touch it.
0: Right. Okay. Um, interesting. All right. Well, so that's pretty much all the questions I had for you. There. Is there anything else uh, that you want to hit on specifically on your product and, and what you guys are trying to do?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think. Um, so one thing that we should mention is you know our our mission is to create twenty one million new Bitcoiners, and there's been a number circulating by uh, kind of privately, one of the big funds in the space that's been around about seven years uh, has kind of done some deep research and figures that there's about 7 million people globally that have $100 or more of Bitcoin. Um, We're going to try to uh, create another 21 million. I like the number. Yeah, we love 21. It's great. Um, So that's one thing. I think the other thing to think about is, you know, If the initial concept for this was basically taking something that, you know, I and a lot of other people were trying to do one on one and make it so that, you know, essentially scales to one to many so that, you know, instead of me just being able to have enough bandwidth to get my dad into Bitcoin now through this platform, you know, scaling with 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 tech and media, as Naval would say, uh, I should be able to create hundreds of new coiners. The next thing that we're doing, and we already started development on this, is uh, a really robust referrals program, and it's a very generous one. So we think we are going to be the absolute best way and the most fun way to stack sats uh, without having to buy them. So we're going to be sharing uh, 50% of our transaction fees Hmm. with people who refer other people to this platform. Uh, And we're going to be making the, you know, obviously the education, but over time, we want to be like a really good repository for, you know, slide decks and videos that you can use at a meetup uh, with your, you know, college friends with your, you know, at a company offsite, like whatever, whatever it is that, you know, whoever you would want to evangelize Bitcoin to, we will have materials that you can use. And, you know, obviously pulling together plenty of amazing stuff that's out there already um, and some of our own stuff and letting you talk about Bitcoin and and proselytize. And then, you know, all those people come to the platform and they can give, they can request, and they can purchase, you know, and all of those things one time or repeat. And uh, all of those transaction fees will be uh, tracked and split with our, uh, you know, people who refer to us. Cool. I like that. Um, so make stack sats by talking about bitcoin and getting other people to become bitcoiners yeah yeah
0: and and, uh, for the most part you know you guys seem to have a pretty low drag model Um, there's not a lot of places for you to get hemmed up as long as bitcoin keeps doing what bitcoin does so uh, i wish you the best of luck there for sure i like the product a lot actually
1: awesome well
0: so anything else you want to talk about uh, before we wrap things up here i know we kind of talked about business most of the time, but, uh, I know
1: your, your time's valuable. I don't want to keep you for too long. No, I'm good. I mean, it's up to you. I mean, you, I th- we booked an hour and a half we can go as long as you want, but, um, <clears throat> you know, some of the things that I like to talk about, uh, I've had a long standing interest in geopolitics. So a lot of times, uh, I'll talk about that and kind of attack vectors, um, more from kind of like a socio political angle and how that actually ties in with what we're doing. Um, so you know, I've I've talked to a lot of the the macro people and a lot of people from other countries, and I have some, you know, groups that I've set up to really think about. Uh, and this is very sort of Talebian, like how to absolutely reduce your downside risk as close to zero as possible. And that's actually kind of what we're doing with the platform. So, you know, one of the, one of the things that I talk about a lot is that really the, the one major attack vector that could take this whole thing down is like a concerted effort, really just by the US government. So you could talk about like, hey, if the, you know, if China comes after it doesn't matter because it'll spring up somewhere else, but like the one global hegemon that really does matter where, you know, it controls the sea lanes and has the strongest economy and has, you know, SWIFT and and essentially the entire world is backed by, by treasuries and the dollar. Um, You know, if the US really wanted to Make a concerted effort to mess with Bitcoin, even if that was something as simple as, you know, Alex Krueger would say, just like the cheapest thing to do is just short the heck out of it, and mm-hmm. drive it down to a hundred bucks, and most people would just scurry off into their corners and forget about Bitcoin. And so, you know, we really think about uh, trying to increase the number of people who, let's call it, you know. Def- defense category number one, this is people who are self-sovereign, who could withstand sort of state-level attacks on the network. And this is all about, you know, minor decentralization and, and lots and lots of nodes and, and plenty of people that are self-sovereign and own their own keys. And that's really what the education is all about, is trying to, you know, take people that have come in through the top of our funnel and spitting them out, uh, being being the infantry and the cavalry for uh, defense bucket number one. The other defense is really You know, this is kind of like taking a page out of like, you know, China's warring states period and deception and kind of like, you know, turning the ship and just like making your enemy work for you uh, or at least sort of like inoculating yourself by infiltrating them. Like this is basically just making sure that all of out of all of the people that matter in finance and government in the U.S., that a huge number of them understand Bitcoin, like Bitcoin, own Bitcoin and are motivated Uh, not to mess with us. Mm -hmm. And then also that their constituents. So, you know, all of the bank's customers and then all of the, uh, you know, the the residents in the home districts of the the reps and the senators, you know, that a huge percentage of those people are Bitcoiners. Um, And that's, you know, the other thing that we're very much attacking just by trying to get as many people as possible in the U.S. in particular. Uh, to own Bitcoin and care about it and know enough about it to make arguments that, you know, it really is about freedom and it really is the most American thing.
0: Yeah, that actually made me think of a really uh, interesting question I hadn't thought of before. Can I gift Bitcoin to uh, foreign nationals,
1: anybody outside the U.S.? So not yet. Uh, we're going to go country by country and just like kind of secure the the regulatory opinion and, and then just keep on opening it up. So we'll probably go Canada next and in the rest of the commonwealth countries and, and kind of spread out from there. Interesting. Um, the, there's nothing technically between us and Prime Trust. We can be live in 140 countries tomorrow. It's just that we don't have the legal protections in those countries until we actually uh, apply for certain things and kind of do the review. And every, every single one of those is you know somewhere between like four and 15 grand. So you can mm. imagine with a startup being on the lean side, we don't want to spend all that money right out of the gate when we're already in the biggest market.
0: Yeah, time and revenue. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly.
0: Well, cool. Yeah, I like it a lot. Um, you mentioned the whole the whole shorting the Bitcoin down to you know zero or whatever um, or as close as you can get. Uh, I, did you see that article that came out fairly recently where somebody was saying that uh, that was what that was why they brought futures online in twenty seventeen was to allegedly try to pop the Bitcoin bubble.
1: You know, he said it. This is Giancarlo, the CFTC chairman or former chairman and he said it. I think it's uh it was probably a bit of bluster. Yeah. Is my read on that. I don't think he knew what was going to happen. Of course he didn't. <laughs> so it's like in hindsight, it's like, oh well we we saw a bubble and that's how we, you know, magically happened to approve this stuff that had been in the works for like three years and it just happened to go live, you know, in the middle of the run up. Yeah. You know. And honestly like probably the blow off top like the other like the last eight to 10 grand was probably because of those things coming online and people being enthusiastic that there was institutional money coming into the space or whatever. Um, so no, <laughs> not even correlation, definitely not causation and probably not even correlation. Yeah. That's like a higher level
0: version of, um, the, the traders who sell their trading courses coming and saying, uh, like in hindsight, showing where they thought prices were going to go on certain things and telling you like, I called this, I called that, I called that. And they can only do it in hindsight. Um, but, to try to uh, convince you of their uh, authenticity and notoriety.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think you're, uh, you're seeing more and more uh, people that will keep their ideas to themselves, just setting up prop trading desks. Like there's still so much information arbitrage in this space. Mm-hmm. and You know, there's still so many trading strategies that you would never tell anybody because if you're making money off of it, you'll just go make money off of it. Um, so I'm, I'm seeing a lot of, you know, my... My acquaintances from Chicago and New York just have been setting up their own shops and their own desks and just trading on their own account, not even taking outside money in many cases. Hmm. And they're not on Twitter. Yeah, I imagine so. (laughs) At least not sharing their ideas on Twitter anyway.
0: Yeah, Twitter um, will quickly convince you that you're in 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 a room full of people, of all the people who care about the topic that you're discussing and that there's consensus on whatever you all agree on.
1: Yeah, it, it's funny. I mean, we're on a podcast called Echo Chamber, but Twitter, man, their algos really cut off everything other than the main thing that you're talking about or thinking about like very quickly. Mm-hmm. Like I have no, I have nothing coming into my bubble, uh, my Bitcoin Twitter bubble anymore from my you know, former Silicon Valley startup. Like I almost never see anything from VCs and founders anymore. Mm-hmm. It's my own fault because I don't click on them because uh, I want to read the next Bitcoin post.
0: It's it's kind of nice, actually. I, I I like that aspect of Twitter. I like being able to filter out noise um, with a little bit of effort.
1: Yeah, I I've, I've found very recently, just like setting up a new Telegram channel for a specific topic, uh, I started doing the same thing with Twitter. So I have like a separate profile for all my geopolitics, you know, demographics, international economics type stuff. And it just has, like, a whole different set of people that I follow and argue with on that one.
0: Hmm. What do you make about what's going on in Hong Kong right now?
1: Hong Kong, Lebanon, Iran, yeah. Chile, Bolivia. There's, like, 10 hot spots right now. Uh, I, I mean, China's a whole other, whole other consideration that I think is uh, a very different I think it's a very different set of factors um than what's probably going on around just like inequality or whatever like that is specifically about uh, you know what was kind of a country uh now coming back under the thumb of of uh of china mm-hmm. and not wanting to um after being used to being relatively free for mm-hmm. a long long time um i just see that as being very different than a lot of the other things which i think are largely driven by generational transition and you know all of the things we're trying to counteract with bitcoin it's mostly just inequality and you know the gains going to to the rich and i think that that is a common thread across many of the uh, the other flare-ups around the world but yeah the the hong kong china thing china's just speeding incredibly fast like in many ways it's already worse than 1984 there mm-hmm. like the the book right um and i think they're just like speeding headlong into this like total control panopticon you know, absolute control over the citizenry and social credit scoring and cameras everywhere and reading your face and your irises and all this creepy shit. Like, it just blows my mind that, uh, that sci-fi writers had it so right. Yeah. (laughs) Um, You know, I mean, it's obviously not unique to China. I mean, you've got, you know, some Nordic societies trying to go cashless as fast as possible, not understanding the drastic downsides of that. You have, you know, more cameras per capita in the U.K. than anywhere else, uh, you know, outside of probably Phoenix.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, w- I would say that uh, China's living 1984 and the Western world's living brave new
1: world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot of people have have kind of made that, and I think it's probably true. Um, but, yeah, I think it's it's going to be, a, you know, it's funny. I think one of the best things about Bitcoin is it gets people comfortable taking sides. Hmm. So I think we're kind of trained to, like, just go along and get along. And I think, you know, definitely, you know, Gen X and millennials have been largely raised in kind of like a go along, get along. And a lot of the sort of like philosophical underpinnings that were passed along by boomers was probably more along the lines of like relativist, where like, oh, if you put yourself in their shoes, then, you know, maybe you'd see it that way and, you know, trying to, go data on everything and, and try to parse like the meaning of the word. And, and, you know, there's no real truth. It's just kind of like how you perceive it. And it's like, nah, dude, we actually have this thing that's true now. And it's making people a lot more comfortable, uh, deciding that other things are true and that other things are right. And actually having opinions and being comfortable voicing them. Um, you know, I think, some of it is people that are like that are drawn to Bitcoin in the first place. Mm-hmm. But I think also a lot of people are being, uh, you know, trained through exposure to Bitcoin and Bitcoiners and Bitcoin culture to feel very comfortable having uh, strong opinions and to be able to take stands on a whole range of issues.
0: That's a really good point. Bitcoin has like a, a virality to it uh, when it comes to questioning status quo. You know, like once, uh, once you get your mind wrapped around uh, Bitcoin and and how it can function and why it exists, you kind of have to reevaluate everything else. I mean, you you can't, you can't accept Bitcoin, why it was created, um, what purposes it serves without taking a step back and looking at the bigger picture, you know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we, uh, you know, the matrix was just uh, such a good (laughs) embodiment of what came great Ten documentary later it was a great documentary yeah this it it it, listen it's uh it was 10 years between the matrix and uh the white paper and now there's been 10 years since the white paper so <laughs> i love it what's, what's next yeah uh i think the matrix four is next <laughs> and then it's well it's the happening and then matrix four and i then, hope not <laughs> and then 20 and then 20 years since the uh yeah uh it's funny man so what you got coming for uh, for the bull run? What are your uh, what are your what's your prediction for for the top of this run and timing? Um,
0: you know, I don't know that I've ever actually publicly said where I think the price is going. Um, honestly, I have no idea. I, I sometimes I look at the markets um, and I see a lot of optimism. And don't get me wrong, I'm as bullish as they come on Bitcoin. Like long term, I think that this thing has a, a pretty close to 100% chance of success. I just just based on all my understandings I don't see it not winning and, and if it wins it's gonna it's gonna be a winner take all winner take most game. However, um, in the short term I see a lot of optimism and that gives me pause because I have to wonder if um, that in, in encourages over leverage. Um, If that encourages malinvestment, I have to wonder if, you know, the people that expect Bitcoin to be at 100 grand a year from now have have over leveraged their positions and if that might potentially harm things. You know, I think a lot of trust is put into um, models which are very interesting and very compelling, but maybe not necessarily are going to be 100 percent indicative of reality. I wonder uh, if if that might impact us. But, you know, I'll say I'll, I'll bite your question. I'll say I'll say 100 grand.
1: Oh, you have to put a time on it. You're saying peak of the bull. Oh, whenever it peak is peak
0: of the bull. Okay, so, um, I think in a year, a year and a half from now, um, we'll we'll probably top around 100 grand. Okay. But I honestly have uh, no idea.
1: Yeah, yeah, it is super interesting. Yeah, I mean, I I think there, I think there is something compelling that's. Uh another, another potential future for Bitcoin is that it's an asset that's a great store of value that actually becomes like super large and has, you know, upside beyond what any of us should be dreaming of. But it actually still coexists alongside um, some other good stores of value. Um, I think, you know, Trace talks about this quite a bit, um, just talking about it being, uh, you know, another silo that needs to get filled up um you know it's a thimble right now and eventually it'll get filled up to some level that level might be something along the lines of like you know the m1 in the u.s or m1 globally or something like that so it could be could be 20 trillion or 30 trillion or 90 trillion or something like that but maybe not 200 trillion where it not only takes over all money everywhere but also sucks a lot of the store value out of art and real estate Mm -hmm. (laughs) um i think uh you should definitely have nick batia on because i i don't want to speak for him but I, I think he's just super eloquent and it's great to have someone with his background and intelligence in the space but he's he's a usc finance prof the deep deep background in bond markets and uh, he's been talking about you know essentially bitcoin joining gold and u.s treasuries as uh the three great buckets of you know store value and and liquidity um for the next hundred years um which i think is super interesting and pre-bitcoin i would have certainly said that there was like nothing that could unseat the U S for the rest of this century. And that this is definitely like the American century, not last year, not, not the 20th century, but it's the 21st century. And that is one thing that I, you know, I, especially as we look at the rise of China and the way that, uh, China is running its society and how headlong it's going into some really dystopian, um, you know, models for organizing society. You know, I don't know that I necessarily want to. Uh, you know, hyperinflate the dollar mm-hmm. and destroy the treasury and everything. Like I want, I kind of want a soft landing, along the lines of things that you know, Safe-Dean has been talking about. And that you could just kind of like slowly, you know, reduce demand for the dollar at the same time as you're you're obviously going to be reducing supply as well because people aren't demanding it. And so there may not be this just massive crash of the dollar price. Um, So I think, you know, a a rise of Bitcoin where it it joins alongside and is, you know, increasingly seen as like beneficial for uh, for the U.S., uh, I think is actually the best outcome geopolitically. Mm hmm. Uh, I don't think that Bitcoin, like destroying, you know, U.S. society in some way or our entire financial infrastructure or whatever it is, uh, is the best outcome for humans.
0: Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. Um, you know, I'm, I consider myself like very staunchly libertarian. Um, I would probably call myself, uh, uh, you know, uh, an uh, what's the term, anarcho-capitalist. Um, mm-hmm. In in the raw sense of the term, you know, I think a lot of things could be handled uh, by private markets. I think that there really isn't a whole lot of need for for governments, particularly strong central governments. Um, I think Thomas Jefferson had it, had it pretty close, you know, with the decentralized government governance model, um, the the way that they originally intended, you know, the Constitution to to frame. the the governance of America, and and we kind of really got away from that really quickly and and shifted towards a a more federally focused government. Um, But I I definitely agree with you in the sense that, you know, destabilization of Western power um, overnight would not be a good thing, you know, just if you look historically, like some of the problems that America faced in its earliest days, you know, uh, just trying to be able to trade on a global market without defense force um, those types of problems rear their ugly head and make life very difficult for everyone back home. Uh, and even though it might not, you might not be being impacted directly. You know, if, if the cotton that you grow on your cotton farm can't get exported to Europe, where they can bring back a trade good ship full of um, other finished products, then you can't make a living. You know, you, you're still stuck living um, without real division of labor. You're, you're at home uh, collecting all your own eggs and growing all your own apples because you can't participate in a, in a global market that has efficient division of labor um so i think that yeah. that that's a really profound point that you made that that we shouldn't necessarily cheerlead like the over, overnight overthrow of western civilization because there is um a caveat to to some of the geopolitical happenings
1: yeah yeah i think uh just to kind of cue your listeners for where a lot of my um uh, geopolitical thinking probably aligns best with is uh, I'm a big fan of Stratfor, which has been around for since the 90s. Um, George Friedman, he wrote The Next Hundred Years and The Next Decade. And then uh, a guy who clearly was driving a lot of that research and thought went out on his own named Peter Zion, um, which is Z-E-I-H-A-N. So Peter Zion has a lot of YouTube videos out there and breaks down kind of what's going on with a lot of different countries and regional situations and kind of Really sees the the globe in, in a way that feels very true and figures into like my mental modeling and, and how I think about you know Bitcoin playing out. So, um, yeah, I've got a I've got a new Telegram group called uh, Bitcoin and Geopolitics. So if any of your listeners are like super into that and want to hit me up in the Twitter DMs and make a case for being in that group, we've got kind of a little think tank going there. Yeah, that sounds talk super about interesting stuff. I like that. Um,
0: I might have to take you up on that. Yeah, sure. All right, so I think I think we've we've hit on enough there. Um, yeah, I we think talked so. About Give Bitcoin, we hit a little on geopolitics. Uh, any parting words for my listeners, and where can they find you? And obviously, where can they find Give Bitcoin once you guys go live on Thursday?
1: Yeah. So GiveBitcoin.io. Uh, and you can you can give Bitcoin you can request get Bitcoin and you can uh, also purchase for yourself there, which is nice um, And then we're on Twitter at give underscore Bitcoin uh, I'm Corey Clipston. I'm sure you can find me in the uh, show notes uh, I'm pretty active on Twitter and DMS are open. So hit me up if you have any questions or comments We we love feedback from people things you like things you don't like uh, it's really I'd say probably like 50% of what's in the product has come from people outside of our walls. Um, We've just been showing our work the entire way and really want this to be a utility that people use in all kinds of different ways. So we want to help you accomplish your goals because we share those goals. We just want everybody to be a Bitcoiner. And we think that, you know, everybody will be a Bitcoiner eventually. Hmm.
0: Awesome. Thanks, Corey. Welcome back, guys. I hope that you enjoyed the talk with Corey. You can find links to uh, GiveBitcoin and Corey's Twitter as well as uh, the GiveBitcoin Twitter in the show notes if you're interested in that. Also, you can find me on Twitter at heavilyarmedc. That's the letter C. If you want to reach out to me or you can contact me at bitcoinechochamber at gmail.com. You can also find all of our episodes at bitcoinechochamber.com or you can find us on pretty much any of your favorite podcasting services, whether that be Overcast, Spotify, iTunes. uh, We're on a whole bunch of them. If you're interested in being a guest on the Bitcoin Echo Chamber, please feel free to reach out to me. I love having conversations with new people, particularly the people who uh, are humble enough to think that they don't have anything all that interesting to add to the conversation. Uh, Those have been some of my best interviews that I just have people reach out to me who have never been on a podcast before. I said a while back that I'd rather have the guy in the show who spent the last three years living in his parents' basement studying C and reading Rothbard than the guy who manages the cryptocurrency index funds. And I tend to get much more contact from the latter than the former, so if you're in the former, uh, definitely reach out to me let's have a fun conversation. That's about all I got for this one, guys. I might try something new for the next episode. I'm thinking about doing a solo episode, um, and it might not even be... 100% Bitcoin related. There's lots of stuff that I find really interesting that I have a tough time finding people that actually want to have a conversation with me about. So I might try to do a solo episode where I just talk about stuff. Um, We'll see how that goes. I don't know. I haven't decided if that's what I want to do or not. Otherwise, guys, I will see you in the next one.